Today's podcast is made possible thanks to Grant Thornton Australia. Women's Agenda is partnering with Grant Thornton on their Super Women Initiative by spotlighting women in superannuation. Through roundtable discussions and a dedicated podcast profile series, we are examining how women are pushing to transform superannuation in Australia. You can learn more about the series at womensagenda.com.au slash superwomen. Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing some of the alarming findings from the gender pay gap data that was released this week. We'll also talk about a different type of gender gap around exercise, plus much more, including some really lovely wins this week, which are much needed. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 29th of February. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm joining you from Gadigal Land and I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. How's your week? Good. Happy uh, February 29th. It's such a... I know. We're nearly there. It's like it shouldn't exist and yet here we are. So I know. <laughs> happy birthday to everybody who has a 29th of February birthday. I know it must be challenging getting to remain a quarter of your actual years. <laughs> Uh, so much to get through today. Let's start with the wins. What is your win? It was a meaty week, wasn't it? There's a lot of news this week. But look, I'll start with my win. I first heard this story about a week ago and it really made me just so happy. So Caroline Kennedy, she is genuine American political royalty. She is the actual daughter of JFK and she is now the ambassador for the US to Australia. So since taking office in July 2022, Kennedy has been nurturing diplomatic ties, but she's also been doing that in a really interesting way that I loved. So she visited a sausage sizzle stand at a Bunnings store in Canberra in 2022, and she learned about an initiative called the Shipbox Rally. When I first got to Australia a year ago, I went to Bunnings for my first sausage sizzle, and the guys on the tongs were raising money for the Shipbox Rally, which they told me was the largest community-based fundraiser in Australia uh, for the Cancer Council. It's an annual charity event, and it sees cars worth less than $1,500 drive from Adelaide to Perth to raise money for cancer research. So I decided that I had to participate. And um, we'll be driving from Adelaide to Perth through the outback. It's the most Australian way we could do it. Now, no one would expect someone like Caroline Kennedy would be interested in this, let alone sign up for the Shipbox Rally. And she is going to be travelling for more than seven days across unsealed roads in a decaying Ford Falcon, which is amazing. And she's called her car the Moonshot in honour of President Joe Biden's Cancer Moonshot Initiative and also President Kennedy's Race to the Moon. And she invoked the words spoken by her father in 1962 when he explained why he wanted the US to put a man on the moon. She said, I've met so many inspiring scientists here in Australia who are working to cure cancer and have a lot going on with colleagues in the United States. And having met the people I've met, I could not be more hopeful. The teams have already raised over $1.3 million this year and it will aim to amass $2 million in total. But I just, yeah, I really, I thought this was so cool and funny and 
intrinsically Australian. She's a nice contrast to Robert F. Kennedy, her cousin running as an independent. Yeah, he's doing things his own way, but still happy to invoke the JFK brand still. But um, we'll see how that plays out in the election. So my win is also, I guess, US related. It's good to have some nice positive stories out of the US at the moment. But among like all the uh, quazillionaires, the mega billionaires out there, I think we've and we've spoken about this before on the podcast is that just how good women seem to be at giving it away. <laughs> Prime example, obviously, is Mackenzie Scott, who still owns a stake in Amazon and she has donated more than $16.5 billion to more than 1,900 nonprofits over the last few years. But we now have another woman on our radar, and that's Ruth Gottesman, who is a former paediatrics professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx in New York. And this week she donated the equivalent of 1.5 billion Australian dollars to the school to ensure that students will not have to pay tuition fees going forward. I'm happy to share with you that starting in August this year, the Albert Einstein College of Medicine will be tuition free. It is so, I mean, the tuition there costs around 90,000 Australian dollars a year. So it is significant. So Ruth Gottesman is 93. She made the announcement on stage in front of the students. So you can see the reaction. And they were told that as of August, their tuition would be free. But those in their final years would be reimbursed for part of their tuition as well. So everyone was happy. Everyone won out of this in the room. It was just so awesome to see. You know, you just look at like some of the stories about her why she, you know, people are saying, well, should we change the name of the school? And she's like, no, I don't want the name to change. Originally, she didn't want her name associated with the donation at all. And the fortune, it did come from her late husband, David Gottesman, who was in a very different career. He was a Wall Street financier. He worked with Warren Buffett. He died a couple of years ago and he told her to do whatever she thought was right with the money. And she did. She I did. She did that very effectively. I know. Just incredible. And I, I saw that two-thirds of students in the first year at that school are women as well. So it just, you know, it makes a massive difference. Not for sure. The wait is over, Ange. As of Tuesday this week, we now have access to the gender pay gaps of more than 5,000 Australian organisations. The Workplace Gender Equality Agency's data has highlighted some grim realities through this data release, though, in gender equality across industries. So just to clarify, Wajia has calculated the median gender pay gap of these organisations by finding the difference between the median of what a man is paid and the median of what a woman is paid within a company. Their data has also accounted for part-time and casual wage earners, although Matt Canavan <laughs> tried to suggest otherwise this week, but that's a different story. Um, and these salaries are converted into annualised full-time equivalent earnings. Even so, the data still showed us some concerning findings and that I think is putting it mildly. And which businesses were the top offenders? I mean, there are a lot of big offenders. Where we saw fit to write about this week is like where we're trying to compare and looking at what these organisations are promising to potential employees and then what they're actually delivering on equity. Also, we've been looking at where organisations really, um, you know, their, their core product is being sold to women where women make up the bulk of their customers or their clients where we also see it as particularly problematic. And some of the big ones there, and these have been going around the media everywhere now because they're just such stark, obvious examples, 
is the activewear brand Lorna Jane, which has a median gender pay gap of total remuneration of 37%. So bad. Uh, Sea Folly, the swimwear brand, 44.5%. Like this is just. How did Lorna Jane not try to get on top of that before they had to release that data? Like that? Yeah, well, there's been, I mean, the ABC reported that they'd received information from Lorna Jane's lawyers saying that, you know, if they don't put the gender pay gap in context, they'll be hearing more from Lorna Jane's lawyers um, and the context that they wanted to put it in. And I might add that Widgia does offer all employers the opportunity to put their gender pay gap in context. They can complete an employer statement and they can share their, the context and the reason or whatever they want to say there. They can also say what they're trying to do about it. And, you know, we have seen some really good examples where employers have actually done just that. In the case of Lorna Jane, I, you know, I couldn't help but notice they hadn't put in an employer statement as of yesterday, and yet they're sort of put out there putting out these threats that it has to be put in context. And if we talk about that context, which we can as well, they're saying, well, women make up, I think it's close to 100% of retail workers, so the bottom rung of the company's employees, whereas men make up most of their head office employees, as in the higher paid employees. So that's kind of like, well, that's the reason and that should be put in context. But I don't think, I think that, you know, not all similar companies have that issue. And really you're an activewear brand marketed to women. Aren't there more opportunities? So bad though. So bad. And it's not the first time that this company has been caught up in controversy. And I think women who are their consumers need to really think hard about whether or not it's a company that they want to continue supporting. Lorna Jane has been pulled up for discriminating against certain body sizes and shapes. You know, a couple of years ago, she faced controversy over a job advertisement for a receptionist that detailed the body measurements the applicant should have should be a size 10 at most. We know fitness wear is one of those huge industries. Lorna Jane does particularly well. It's everywhere. Their advertising is everywhere. But like, There are a lot of competitors and there are a lot of really good ethical competitors in this space led by women that are doing the right thing, small businesses as well. So when we're going to buy our next pair of leggings, maybe take into consideration that this is actually happening and that from where we're sitting, it doesn't seem like a whole lot is is shifting. And I think this is just particularly egregious. Like it's a company built on trying to promote the the health and well-being of women like that's that's essentially what it is and at mm, core yeah. of it they're rotting women let's see what happens next from here i mean i guess in terms of the context i've just pulled it up now from this is what the abc reported when they're sharing the letter from lorna jane's lawyers and that is that the company employs close to 1400 women and 47 men, and that women make up 97% of the workforce and the entire staff that's even of worse. all 101 stores. So if that's their context, then that's actually worse. Yeah, and I also want to note that Lorna Jane is, you know, we've got the gender pay gaps of 5,000 employers here and a lot don't have any gender pay gaps and a lot do have some really significant ones and this is just one example. And if anyone wants to go and sort of look at how they shop or what businesses they want to work with or whatever it is, then you can just go and take a look at the gender pay gaps of these organizations. But more importantly, I think, is to look at what they're trying to do to address them and how seriously employers are stating if they've got clear targets, like just really clear examples of what they are doing to fix the issue as opposed to making excuses trying to explain it. 
Yeah. I wanted to also just mention like law firms as well. Like, you know, some, some of the biggest employees in Australia, I might add, have some quite significant pay gaps, including in, in banking and finance, especially. The law firms, I think, is really interesting to look at because the biggest law firms in Australia have quite significant gaps. The um, biggest one there was Cause Chambers Westgarth, which has a 22.2% total remuneration gender gap, followed by Minter Ellison with an 18.6 gap and, a, and Freehills then with 173 You know, we write a lot about law firms quite often and what I think is really interesting here is that those figures – Obviously, they don't look anywhere near as bad as the likes of, say, you know, what we mentioned with Lorna Jane or C. Folly and also the mining companies especially. But this doesn't include the partners at those law firms, which we know are majority male. Mm. And we also know that partners in large law firms receive really great remuneration. So I can't even imagine what those gender pay gaps would be if it included those figures. Yeah, I didn't even stop to consider that. But yeah, that's a that's a huge one. It's yeah, it's crazy. And then things like, you know, Energy Australia with a 36% gap, Origin with a 34.1% gap. Mm. I talked about banking and finance there, but Morgan Stanley Australia, 48.2%. Oh God. <laughs> which oh, is that. dramatically bigger than its 25.1% median base salary. So obviously when it comes to bonuses and things like that, men are the primary beneficiaries there. When you go into like the mining and resources area, you do see these, you know, these companies that, yeah, you know, some I haven't necessarily don't know much about, but like say Hunter Primary, 73.1% gap. Oh my goodness. Like uh, that they have, I mean, they've got between 250 and 500 employees. It's just I don't know. And then, I mean, some of these, because I went in and tried to look for employer statements, a lot haven't actually bothered to do this. I know as of Tuesday or Wednesday, Widya was saying that they'd received 800 employer statements, but some are just... I wonder if there was like a bit of a thought process behind some of these employers that like, you know, this wasn't really going to go anywhere, that this was just a bit of a beat up, like a bit of a box ticking exercise. No one would really read into it when really this has been everywhere. This has been published by every major news outlet in the country. It is something that employers should be taking very seriously if they want to retain good quality talent in their mm. organization and, and also attract them to the upcoming pipeline. If women know that these gaps exist, they're probably in for a whole lot of hard questions. And if those women are actually employed within their ranks at the moment, they're probably up for for some hard conversations in that regard. And then I think in terms of attracting women in general, it's not a good prognosis for them. So I think that this is going to cause them a whole lot more grief than perhaps they had registered, particularly those ones that didn't even try to justify why they were so messed up. Yeah, exactly. And International Women's Day is next week. I think that's where people ask the questions and that's why it's a really good timing for this data to come out especially. <laughs> we should especially record like women. every organisation that we see with an IWD event and see where the, the gaps are on. Would you yeah, list? where they're like claiming to count her in. Like one of the easiest way to count her in would be to look at the inequity across your leadership and across your pay. Like that would be the first place. Place to start. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do two mentions of two companies this week that I thought were doing interesting work. So Telstra Super, which Madeline wrote about yesterday, and you know they have got I, I can't remember the exact figure. It was smaller than other pay gaps in their space, but I noticed that they had put up their employer statement, and in that employer statement, they'd mentioned also what Madeline wrote about yesterday, which is that they've changed how they're paying superannuation. So that full superannuation will now be paid to those working part time for 
a period, I think it was two years after returning from paid parental leave, which was, you know, that's not going to change everything, but I thought that was a really, really great initiative and potentially an example of an employer that is sort of directly reacting also to this transparency and saying we're going to take this as an opportunity to make a new announcement here. Another example is CultureAmp, which has one of the smallest pay gaps among its tech peers. And I saw Aubrey Blanche Sorellano, who is really quite well known in the DNI space, has been at various organisations. She posted about this yesterday, and she spoke about the fact that they had launched. She, she's working there now, but she spoke about the fact that they had launched an initiative in 2022 audit their talent processes, including around performance promotions and pay with the priority being around to supporting equity. And so we're seeing the changes happen. So you see little examples like that. It's like, oh, look, it, it is actually possible. Like yeah. you can't just say because we're in this industry and there's not enough women and women don't go into engineering or women don't go into the headquarter positions with all the big pay. Like yeah. it is yeah. actually possible to change that in a few years. Yeah, like and it's a ripe opportunity of- for employees to go you know, what What can we do here now as well? And they don't necessarily yeah. have to come out looking terrible. They really could leverage that to their advantage. Yeah. So I don't think Lorna Jane has pursued the best PR strategy. <laughs> Again, they could have used it as an opportunity, but, you know, maybe they can leverage it into something, a big change for next year. And we can all see their dramatic transformation. I hope so. And that could be a really good news story. We'll see. <laughs> So on to our next story today, and this one with a warning to listeners as this story contains content that some may find distressing. It is Mardi Gras season in Sydney, and this weekend thousands of people will flock to Oxford Street to celebrate LGBTQIA plus pride. But this year does feel a little different. As we know, 10 Network's TV personality Jesse Baird and his partner, flight attendant Luke Davies, they were allegedly killed by New South Wales police officer Beau Lamar Condon earlier this week and authorities, as we learned yesterday, did discover their bodies days after Lamar Condon has turned himself into police. Um, New South Wales police have marched in the Mardi Gras for 26 years, but for the first time since then, uh, the Mardi Gras board has actually requested the force not to participate in light of the circumstances. As of yesterday, I believe that New South Wales police are now allowed to march but not in uniform. Tyler, do you think it was the right call? I think it was the right call. I think this is a heartbreaking situation, but it is an opportunity for the police, I guess, to read the room a bit and to respond to the heartbreak and frustration and anger that exists in the LGBTQI plus community around police conduct. I think it's also really sad on on the other end as well because the vast majority of of the police that take part in the Mardi Gras march are members of the LGBTQI community Mm. themselves and I do think broadly and historically it's a nice opportunity for them to be celebrated for the work that they do and, and also within that community through that event. I heard an interview with independent Alex Greenwich yesterday which I thought he raised some interesting points too like While we have to recognise and understand and try to reconcile that real tension between the LGBTQI community and police forces across Australia Mm. and, you know, there's so much work that needs to be done there and there have been so many egregious breaches of trust and abuses of power from the police for, for a number of years, 
I think it's also really important that we we do try to like build kind of solidarity there as well because the safety of the LGBTQI community is really dependent on the police as well and you know it's it's really up to the police to to make sure that that community feels supported and safe. So I, I think it's a really tricky one, but I mean, I do think in the context of this year, this is the right decision. While they weren't gay hate murders, you know, there were still issues surrounding that with New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb describing the murders as a crime of passion rather than really highlighting the fact that they were domestic violence murders allegedly perpetrated by a New South Wales police officer. So I think that there were issues there too and and it was mishandled and now there's deep hurt and I understand that deep hurt. So, you know, moving on from here, we really need to, I'd love to see greater work being done to see the bridging of the gaps there and greater solidarity between police forces and the LGBTQI community. But I think in the context of this year, it makes perfect sense that the Mardi Gras Council asked them to do that. Yeah, I I do feel the members of the community who are in the police force and thinking about them and how this would feel to them, especially if they've, you know, in previous years been able to wear the uniform and participate with pride. I really think Police Commissioner Karen Webb could have done a much better job of this. There was way too much silence on the issue. First up, the crime of passion comment the haters gonna hate comment quoting taylor swift like it's just so much more could be done to possibly get to a different point than where it is now by addressing some of these issues and talking about them in different ways up front a week or so ago yeah completely agree To the final story for this week, and we are looking at some new data highlighting a gender exercise gap now. So fun to have all these gender gaps, isn't it? Mm. Every week, a new gap. (laughs) (laughs) So sports brand ASICS commissioned the largest global study to date on the gender exercise gap, surveying more than 25,000 people in 40 different countries. The results found an alarming disparity between women's and men's access to exercise. More than half of women don't exercise as much as they want to, despite positive correlations between exercise and women's mental health. Barriers stopping women from reaching their exercise goals include time pressures, low self-confidence, intimidating environments, and not feeling sporty enough. Nearly two-thirds, 61% of mothers, said motherhood was the main reason that stopped them from doing regular physical activity. Ange, I know you'd have some thoughts on this one. What are they? Firstly, I was just thinking that two-thirds of mothers who say that motherhood was the main reason that stopped them from doing regular physical activity. I'd like to do a study on like the number of fathers (laughs) who take up triathlons and ultra running and very an Ironmans after having a child. (laughs) Just the things that require hours and hours of training for across multiple different sports (laughs) and then maybe compare that to the take-up from new mothers. A bit of a theory. It just seems like after fatherhood, that seems to be the thing or like the, you know, the six-hour bike rides on the weekend and stuff like that. Fair enough. I want everybody to find their community. That's fine. You know, everyone to have friendships and that kind of thing. But sometimes I just 
wonder if like in certain circumstances, some people get that opportunity more than others, especially when it comes to time. The other thing I was noticing about that motherhood stat there was that it does kind of match what we see with some of the Gene Howes research on this as well and some of the ABS data too that looks at how women's you know participation in physical activity levels, it does drop around 35 or so, which may correlate with women having children. And it is such, an, you know, this ASIC study does bring it up too. It looks at all the benefits of exercise and training for women and the, the need to really address some of these issues so that we can support more women to be able to participate, I guess. And, you know, when we're looking at like the time pressures, you know, there's more, maybe there's more options for childcare facilities or just more support around that. Looking at low confidence and intimidating environments, again, opportunities for gyms to really address that and try and get more women into different areas of the gyms and that not feeling sporty enough which that's just that makes me feel really sad because there are a lot of us out there who don't feel sporty enough and I just don't want that to ever be any kind of block to participating. I think that's a deterrent for me. I've only recently started going to Pilates classes which you know but I took a massive hiatus out of exercise post having uh, my two kids and I was so daunted like it was such a mental block for me to start exercise again just because I was like I am so uncoordinated and so unsporty (laughs) and so I totally relate to that as a, a statistic I think generally speaking exercise environments are pretty hostile to women I've actually found one that is really lovely and inclusive and it's made a big difference and I think I've kind of gotten over that mental block and I'm I'm kind of disappointed that it's taken me so long to kind of get to this point and think about it differently. I I wish I'd done it earlier, but I completely empathize and understand that reasoning. I also think, and I mean, this wasn't explicitly stated here, but I know that this is my experience, is that for so many of us, like we've been kind of conditioned to see exercise as a link to losing weight or trying not to put on weight or in response to eating too much the day before or whatever. And I I know personally when I shifted that mindset and kind of looked at training as opposed to using exercise as some kind of punishment for how much I eat or like some kind of means to try and stay a certain weight like that completely transformed everything for me and just to make sure that we don't you know we don't have to link it to food uh, that that's uh, and I think we can be conditioned and the other thing I might ma- point out there is also that sometimes we can also see this all or nothing approach to exercise which can be really hard to maintain that kind of sense that you must go you know five mornings a week to a really difficult hit class or something like that which is might leave you exhausted it, you know maybe you can sustain that for a while but it might be pretty hard to do long term so it doesn't need to be the all or nothing approach and also I think Let's move away from linking it to body shape and size and how much we eat. Yeah. Here, here. I think that is it for this week. Thank you for listening to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. You can access all the stories that we've discussed and the relevant data and details that we've shared on our website at womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. Thank you for listening. Thank you.